As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Amanda and Bill Gardner, current narrative director and creative director, respectively, at the Deep End Games. So join us as we explore their journey. So today I'm joined by both Amanda and Bill. How are you both? We are hunters. Great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, doing great. Not a problem at all. Um, I mean, thank you for coming aboard. And uh, Amanda, it was, your, it was your tweet in the first place. You were looking to have a chat to people. That was uh, Then people tagged me and alerted me to it. It was one of those really nice little things that kind of worked out. So I'm thrilled to have you both on the show. It's really fun when, you know, a community of listeners sort of can find each other. And uh, I, I got a lot of really great recommendations that day. Now I have all these great new podcasts and, and um, to listen to and put in my queue. And it's just exciting. Yeah. We love talking about any of this stuff. So yes. it's, it's great. Like um, it's been a while. We've been in hiding for <laughs> quite a while. So it's nice to, to finally come out of our show. Come out from under the rock. And I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> still, still tricky anyway, given the, the year that we're all having at the moment so yeah as soon as i said that i was like wait a minute that's not true at all yeah, we're we still really still in hiding yeah <laughs> i guess out of digital hiding yeah yeah <laughs> which is which is a step forward yeah exactly yeah People. small wins we gotta exactly. take the small wins. <laughs> so this is dev diary series we talk to developers from all around the industry they share their stories their experiences and basically the journey that's led to this current point as well as some of the current works which we'll get to a little bit later as well there's some exciting stuff coming from the two of you that we'll be getting to shortly but Ooh. before we get to your actual work in, in development, um, I wouldn't mind rewinding to some of your first gaming experiences. Do either of you remember what some of the first games were that you ever played? Now, uh, listeners, because this is an audio-only podcast, you're not going to see what I'm seeing, but there is an unbelievable stack of games in the background <laughs> behind, uh, behind both of them uh, right now. Uh, my eyes are watering with the number of 64 games and i think i, I think i can see some playstation uh, og playstation games in the background there there's there's bioshock oh, yeah. paraphernalia and a whole bunch of things in the background there it's really quite impressive but where did things begin well i mean for me um it was king's quest 2 uh oh yeah, I nice. had, oh, yeah i had um just a big old i think it was an apple 2e it was an old computer um, and I remember being a very young child playing King, the King's Quest games. And one of my first memories was if I went right, I would live. And if I went left, a wolf would eat me. And uh, I, I eventually learned to just go right, you know, like it's those very young, early steps. But Roberta Williams is amazing. And the King's Quest series stuck with me my entire life. King's Quest, I think like five, six and seven were my favorites. It's really hard to pick. Um, but and my family had, um, we had an NES, but my first gamer memory was was King's Quest. And um, I, I always had a love of fantasy, and I really think that that was very formative for me. And also, um, Myst was huge, huge, huge. And now, uh, on the project we're working on right now, Romancevania, Chuck Carter, who actually made Myst, is on our team. So it was like... Which is pretty awesome. circle amazing but bill bill's got some really great retro memories yes, where did things begin for you 
Well, no, I, I honestly, I don't know what what the first was. The one of the more vivid memories I had that, that was clearly very early was uh, <laughs> I, I found a uh, an Atari. Um, I think it was twenty six hundred. Um, just start somewhere in the basement or whatever, and I asked yep. my parents. I was probably five years old, and um, maybe a little older. I'm not sure. Five or six, anyway. Um, and I asked my parents like what it was and if I could play it because I, I I remember knowing what video games were, but I don't remember playing them. And I was like, "Can I play this?" And and, and they're like, oh, "Yeah, of course, of course." And and of course, I, I think I remember hooking it up myself. Wow. But um, but I think That's that. The one that the, the thing that I remember the most was the first thing I put on was Qbert. Oh yeah, which is no, uh, that's a pretty that's a, pretty. Well, it's a bizarre start, honestly. It's very <laughs> weird, and, but it's not um, a necessarily I, uncommon start, though. I'd say. Yeah. No. 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 It's a, well. Yeah. It's it's a bit um it's a bit of a kinky start. I'd say it's a bit weird for like you know like Qbert is just a. And it's a weird, weird bizarre, game. Yeah. Super like, weird. Yeah. I mean, King's makes sense for me and yeah. who I am, but yeah. like Hubert, that's not what I. It's uh, it's an acid trip. I mean, Hubert <laughs> is like like so. Uh, yeah, so I, I got my start as an acid trip. Um, but I, I do remember there's other other distinct memories. I, I had an NES, I believe, before I played this, but I specifically remember going over to a friend's house, um, and I didn't really hang out with him much. But I remember going over, and he had uh, a game paused in the background, and I just remember like zo- like honing in on it being like what is that and i was um world one two in, in mario brothers oh, mario. Mm-hmm. It went over and on and uh and then and paused it and i was like immediately just that music i was like what the fuck <laughs> um and it's at magic. that point yeah so like i said i think i may have had an nes at that point but i just remember like again you know memory's weird but uh seeing that and it, i definitely had not seen super mario brothers and it was just like that i think that was the thing i was like i'm done this is it this is, this is my Books jam my life now yeah. Is that uh, after you started writing uh, letters to them? <laughs> of course, no, no, no. So yeah, <laughs> that was uh, that was I started writing to Nintendo long a- yeah. long after that, of course. But... Yeah, his game design career started real early. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's um, that's not an uncommon thing either. I used to design little what I imagined. Now, admittedly, I'm not in game design at all, and maybe maybe it's a missed opportunity there. But I used to be designing little maps for Zelda after I first got yeah. introduced to Link to the Past back in the day, and yeah, yeah. so we've nice. Yeah, I think it's not the most uncommon sort of thing to reach out to Nintendo or to reach yeah. out to a publisher or developer of some sort, and especially back totally. uh, back then when they were a little bit easier to access than maybe some are these days. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, funny because yeah, all those yeah, written like. them written them a bunch of letters, and and they would respond each time. And I, I took it as um, well, not even inspiration, but the first time I sent them an idea for Indiana Jones game. And they responded, and the, the response was like, "Hey, this is a, this is a, you'll be pleased to know that your game is being made by Mindscape." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh wow!" Uh, I took it as I, I as just make a video game. <laughs> eight, eight or ten year old be like, "Oh my god, they love my idea!" So and cute. and yeah, I have a letter somewhere around here. I have to dig it up. But um, just it's super kind that they would respond like that. I mean, I know a lot of a lot of creatives who have very similar experiences where it's like you you're really into something and you you reach out to someone in the industry or whatever, and they, they respond. And even if it's just like a general typeface or sort of um, boilerplate kind of thing, uh, the fact that you get any response at all, especially back in the magic of actually physically oh. getting something in the mail. In the versus mail. Like a letter a, yeah. with a Nintendo return yeah. address. Um, oh, so that, that takes that was... way more effort than just hitting like on someone's tweet yeah, or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Um, which is why when people don't like something, it always, it always hurts. Yeah. Like, that doesn't any effort. Likes are free. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so just throw them around uh, the front and center. Yeah, <laughs> I um, 
yeah, that was pretty formative for me. I just, you know, after that, I just, I constantly writing stuff up and proposals and sending them to Nintendo and the whole thing. So. Having the validation of someone you respect can genuinely launch a career, I believe. I think that that boost from Nintendo gave you, like, even subconsciously gave you the wherewithal to be like, no, yeah, no I have good ideas and I can do this. No doubt. Absolutely. And in fact, one of the, one of the proposals I sent was for Metroid 2. Which is I, like obviously that was gonna happen. That wasn't I had yeah. nothing to do with it. But one of the so I had all the weapons proposed and I had like all this goofy enemies and I think I think the main bad guy this time was um, Father Brain, so you can see what kind of <laughs> mental giant I was. But um I did have I did have one idea uh that we you also know, got the, um, the the morph ball in in, in, in uh in, in Metroid that that was notorious. And I actually I, I was like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could uh, when you roll up in a ball, you can roll on walls. And I was like, it's the spider ball. And it encases you in this gel. And you can go, like, and it became a thing. Yeah, it was went that far off the mark in the end. It, yeah. was, it was totally coincidental, of course. But it was like the fact that it was the spider ball and the way it was described and the fact that you wrote it. So I was like, you stole that. <laughs> I, I, I think you should be slapping that oh, on wait, every resume you can. Vengeance. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Just stick it on every resume you can and just claim that, go, yeah. that, claim I mean, that that's yours. Spider ball. <laughs> yeah. Who knows, maybe yeah. we'll be coming back to that uh, particular point of conversation a little bit later on. Uh, so mm. how did things kind of develop from there in terms of uh, were there any favourite franchises? Now, obviously, we've spoken about King, King's Quest and that sounds like it persisted for quite some time in your case, Amanda. Uh, were there any other franchises for either of you or even just standalone games that really, really clicked over the journey that you really attached yourselves to? Well, uh, we have a history with Final Fantasy. Uh, Bill and I started dating 20 years ago. Yeah. When, uh, yeah, half half our lives. <laughs> um, and we bonded over Final Fantasy VIII, which had just come out. We were in college, but we were an entire country apart. He was in L.A. I was in uh, New Hampshire. And I remember we would get on the phone and we would, I would help him with junctioning, and and this, I was really into the nerdy systems of Final Fantasy VIII, and um, that game meant so much to us that when we had our daughter, our fourth child, we named her Renoa. So oh, nice. Is, yeah, we don't call her that. Like her, within weeks, we were calling her something else. Uh, her brothers had started calling her Winnie, and um, it stuck. So we do have a daughter named Win- Renoa. We just don't call her Renoa. But yeah, still, symbolic. Names get hijacked a little bit. That's and, and that's where nicknames come from. That's all fine. No, exactly. no issues there. That's exactly. fantastic. And so yeah. that, that that was really a common one for the both of you. Were there any that kind of in your own little individual bubbles you really got consumed by? Of course, yeah. I mean, like you know, I was I was the Nintendo kid growing up. Um, I told you about Super Mario Brothers. So, but um, Zelda was 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 huge for me. Uh, you know, Zelda, Metroid, and Mario was is the the one two three punch for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love games. Uh, pretty much anything I can get my hands on, but those were the ones that really sunk their their um, their claws in me, I guess you could say. Particularly the first Zelda, um, that was that was really just the imagination. You talk about drawing the maps; that was I was totally all about there that. And um, but I, you know, just go to those uh, walk through the maps in my head. You know, just constantly living in that world. Um, and when you're kind of a reclusive uh, sort of uh, introvert. Um, I'm less so now, but yeah, I was I was extremely uh, introverted as a, as a child, and that was a uh, that was a, a big big thing that got me through it. You know, <laughs> well, you know, the idea of working on something game related was not really looked upon in the same way that it is these days. And even even now, oh. there's some that will try and stomp that down. Thankfully, it's not nearly what it was, you know, um, back then. But yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that completely. Yeah, I know. I went to I went to film school. Um, my parents owned a video store when I was growing up, um, so I was lucky enough to have access to every film you can imagine. But um, games were always the thing for me. It was just like there was no path to to games. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when I went to college, it was like I was I was trying to get anything related to, to video games. And, and like I, I specifically remember at one point giving it was a, a speech class. I was giving a speech on on video games and how they're gonna. You know, I did this a little bit more politely, but I was like, how they're going to take over the entertainment industry and this whole thing. And I remember there was, uh, you know, a group of girls in the back and they were snickering the entire time. And I was, I was friendly with them. I was, I went up to Becky afterwards. I was like, Hey, what were you guys laughing at? What was I stuttering? What's the problem? And they're like, Oh, video games, you and your video. They're not going to, get big and I, was, I was stuck with him i was like okay all right we'll see about that oh, it's, <laughs> I was on. Like, yeah. it's on um, do we just need to wheel so, out like do we need to track them down now and just go yeah, hey, i know right see, I told here's you. these yeah, dollar I signs like the this is like you getting revenge on the naysayers like <laughs> stealing your yeah, uh, now this alleged becky yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a sil- uh, cyclical uh, thing going on here. <laughs> but, um yeah it, so i i like it was there, we had a, a school newspaper and I, I approached them and I was like, hey, there's nothing video game related here. Can I start writing reviews? And uh, yeah, so this is around I, one of my first reviews. I think my first review was um, Ocarina of Time. Nice. Yeah. And so just, that, just that one that of the many cool. people that gave that a 10 out of 10, I presume. Well, I didn't give. Uh, they weren't into the idea of ratings, uh, any sort of uh, ratings. It was more was like a like, promotional, like, hey, this oh, would yeah, be okay. Yeah, yeah. It's funny though because the review started off kind of negative. What? Because um, well, the, the, the beginning is what not. What could you have possibly right. said? I, well, it was it was mostly about just like how I, I sort of gripes about getting off the ground and, okay. and, and starting off and, and like a lot of the sort of goofiness of the the, the first the, the intro part. I did not. Yeah, Navi and, had to speak to him like two or three times before he got out of bed. That really bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried? kid that age out of bed like it makes sense i'll get there soon (laughs) just to be clear though the rest of it was absolutely glorious like after that first area it just absolutely soars and takes off and it is one of the best games of all time i don't want any haters oh yeah coming after me like in in fact when you asked that question i was like ocarina of time for sure yeah absolutely um one game that really captured my imagination that's not super old but uh persona 4 Hmm. i i really really dug into persona 4 and just i was actually tweeting about this the other day the the idea of the midnight channel really captured my imagination i loved this whole idea of like under certain conditions this magical thing can happen Mm -hmm. and um just you know it's got to be raining it's got to be midnight and it, it just something about that just triggered something in me that that opened up my imagination quite a bit yeah, and in no, fact, that's actually I think one of the reasons I with with uh, I think more modern games, less so with the indie space, but I think more traditional AAA games. There's a lot of the magic that's gone away. Everything's mm. so brown, and this is part of the reason why we're doing what we're doing right now. <laughs> is that um, you know the sort of uh, just fun and joy and and, and whimsy and uh, like I feel like that's been sapped out of a lot of the, the, the awe, a lot of games. Just yeah, awe. yeah, absolutely. Sorry, not to, not to, to be negative. I just think that. Uh, the, these aspects of like creating worlds versus you know the, the like creating realism or whatever it is it doesn't interest me I, i'm happy that that stuff exists you know the, yeah. the, the push towards realism or whatever but i love fantasy i love yeah um you know escapism 
And, no, it's uh, important to have those different verticals and, you know, there's different people that those different verticals will speak to and uh, in some particular cases, especially when you're talking about the, the very last AAA there, there's there's bottom lines and there's shareholders and all those sorts of little things that come into it as well, which will no doubt, not that I've been on that side, but, you know, that does have a bearing in some particular respects. You know, we can't do yeah. this because it's not really going to... Like, is that a worthwhile investment because only... 0.5% of people are actually going to see this and that's not, you know, dollars and cents all start to kick in. So yeah, um, there's yeah. things there that on the independent side that you can just do because you love it. And if two people see it, fine, but I love it. And that, you know, that's, that was important to me to do it. And it all, it all makes a lot of sense there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the best things about the, the maturation, if you will, of, of the industry is that it always it always kind of pisses me off when people are like, "Oh, games aren't this or games aren't this," and the, need, the industry needs to be like this. And it's yeah, but exactly. It's it's the one medium where we, they can be anything. And um, I love I, again. I, I like that super hyper realistic uh, games exist. I just it's just not really my jam. And I'll I'll tune in and be like, "Wow, that's really impressive," and then move on. <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I mean, it's kind of almost how I, it's reflected in in the things that I read for recreationally. Like, I can't read historical fiction or nonfiction. I'm not unless it's personal development, which I I really love meditation and health and wellness. So I'll read stuff yes. on that. But if but you know, people will talk to me about this great true crime book. I'm like. It really happened. I'm not interested. <laughs> well, you like Jack the Ripper, right? Oh, wait. So Devil in the White City was literally the only nonfiction, uh, his, like historical nonfiction that I've read that really was just mind-blowing because, but it was so outrageous. So outrageous, exactly. Yeah. It, it is fantastic. Like a person yeah. down the street. It was this fake city where there was a murderer. Are, are you familiar real. with H.H. Um, Holmes and uh, Devil yeah. in the White City? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not in any impressive sort of deep level, but... I have a surface understanding for sure. Sure. Yeah. No. It's just uh, like the the. I mean, it's 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 a, a fantasy land, right? They're building the yeah, uh, the, I mean, the World's Fair, and just the, the way that that is just this this fake, um, almost right. Disney, if you will, proto right. Disney, if you will. And it kind of combines the things we like, like horror and fantasy, in a way. Yeah. I mean, video game. I mean, like it's not to, to make light of it, but just the, the way that I mean, he turned his apartment building into effectively a a, a, a saw style Ugh. video game and it's, it's terrifying um so again it, it seems like i'm <laughs> no but like so many people like true crime i just for me it's like oh gosh that really happened i don't want to talk about that yeah. or think about that yeah <laughs> so yeah, like... totally. yeah yeah I, I can i can sympathize with that a little bit and it's also the same with you know certain medical shows or films so i, I, yeah. I, I don't, oh I don't need to see the blood and guts yeah. thanks like no yeah. no well, it's like it's like uh, at the not to bring it up, but at the start of all this craziness, uh, the pandemic, like the, the number one movie was was uh, Contagion. Contagion. I was like, yeah. guys, what are we doing here? We're gonna be. It's not gonna give you tips. Yeah. let me tell you and, that. And, ever, and everyone was playing. What's that? Oh, it, oh, I've forgotten the game. It was a browser game as well. Um, the one where you're just proliferating a virus across the world. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot, I forgot what it's called. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember either. Yeah, it's I, I totally it's completely you're escaped about. me, but you know the one I'm talking about. But you know, this kind of circles back to why we're making Romancevania. Like, we were working on something that was very dark, yeah. and honestly, like energetically, we just couldn't keep up. Like, it was, it you know, we were watching really scary things. We were talking about really scary things, and then one day, Bill just said a word to me. One word. He just said. Romancevania, and I said, I don't care what it is, I'm in. Like that sounds like the most fun. 
Uh, and we just started decided what it was, you know, yeah. and, then, and then we started to make it and and we completely pivoted from the other thing because we're like, this is what people need right now. And that was before the pandemic. I, I think that people need something fun. Yeah, yeah, Some, something lighter, something, yeah, a little bit of personality because we do. Yeah, and you mentioned before, we get a lot of uh, dry, dry is not the right word, but the, like there's a there's a formula that we see again in some certain spaces of the industry, not all. Um but they, they tend to be the bigger, uh, higher-selling yeah. titles out there. And we, we need this this dash of personality that kind of gets injected through the indie scene or or even certain games within the indie scene also really break out. And there's usually reasons for that. And uh, the idea of a, a romance-driven Metroidvania, which we'll obviously we'll dive into in far more detail as we get further and further through this chat, um, mm. but... Is, is is quite an out there concept as far I haven't seen anything that fits that description at all and I'm sure you guys have both done your research there and presumably <laughs> haven't really found too many others like that either so it's um, that's something that catches the eye and it sparks intrigue in the in a prospective yeah. consumer so well that's always the great. goal is it, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very much driven by mashups I, I'm, I'm I think mm. we love too many different things to just pick I, like I could never do like a straight up simulation or I, again, I love those games. I love, you know, uh, you name it. I could never do strategy game or simulation or just straight up adventure. It, it's got to have, it's got to have layers. Um, especially, you know, you're going to spend two, three, however many years of your life, you know, pouring your soul into something. Yeah, it, it's got to, it's got to, you got to draw on all these different inspirations and references and passions, really. And um, so, yeah, going from from you know from Bioshock to Perception to, to to this, it's just it's always about how many, how can I take all the thing, all the flavors I love and mix them together in a fresh way, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. So, Bill, you've yeah. given me the perfect kind of segue there because you referenced some of your earlier works. Uh, for both <laughs> of you, I'd like to kind of take a look at some of those early steps in the, the working career and, uh, you know, because cool. it, it's not even, uh, Amanda, in your case, for example, we were talking about this before we started the recording, professionally a teacher for, for uh, many years before actually jumping into yeah. games in any way, shape or form was, was teaching. And you, we've discussed this already beforehand. You're talking to a teacher as well. Was teaching yeah. always the thing that you'd wanted to do or, and games so, just, you fell into it later or how did that kind of. Yeah. Emerge? Um, I was a kid who recreationally read books. Like if it was a Saturday night in high school, I'm like, I'm going to go read a book. Like all the kids were going out. I'm like, no, I like books. I like reading. I like stories. Um, so I, my first job was at Barnes and Noble. Cause I could just be around more books. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, uh, I, I, I don't think when I was growing up that I was going to be a writer that seemed almost like too audacious. Um, but I definitely knew that my life was going to revolve around stories. Um, and in high school, I corrected my best friends and my boyfriend's papers, like for fun. I'd be like, oh my God, you have something to do in English? Gimme. <laughs> and I would read it and I would correct it. And they would do great. And I would do even better because it made it, you know, it sharpened my skills. So when I got to college, I was like, I guess I'll be an English teacher. And yeah. um, my college had a fantastic program that was literally English teaching. It wasn't that I was getting an English degree, it was a degree in English teaching. And I was like, that makes perfect sense. And I didn't hate it. You know, I did it. <laughs> I loved the kids and the students. I, I mean, anybody who disses teenager, I love teenagers. Um, some of my best friends are my former students. Um, but it didn't scratch the itch for me creatively. Yeah. And it was only after I had my first child that I started dabble in writing myself. Um, 
you know, so Liam, my, my eldest, who's 12, he was not a great napper. And so I couldn't clean the house or do dishes or, or anything without waking him up. So I needed a quiet hobby. And uh, I, I had this idea for a book and I started writing it. I pretty much taught myself how to write books. And uh, I've written six since then, which I am very proud of. As it um, should be. But it's funny because uh, I, I found an old um, like a letter from my mother in high school. It may have been a graduation card or something. And she said, I can't wait until you're older and I'll see your books on the shelves. And I'm like, wow, my mom thought I was going to be a writer back before I realized I was going to write. And so um, I started teaching English. Then I wrote books. And then once... Um, Bill had the idea for perception. He was like, you should write a game. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> you know, I know so, how to write books. I can teach, I, you know, I taught myself how to do that. I can teach myself to write games. And um, I wrote perception, which was huge for me. And um, so, yeah, my I, definitely, if you had asked me, you know, uh, 10 years ago, are you going to be in games? I'm going to be like, no, that's, that's, that's my husband's thing. That's not my thing. But I think that given my past as a, true gamer I, I grew up loving games even before i met bill like I, I was always a gamer i was always obsessed with stories and I, I just knew that stories would be the formative calling of my life yeah no that's 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 really cool and but at any, at any point and obviously you, you mentioned that bill was working on getting games already whilst you were still you were teaching as well you're working two different totally different industries you know lines of work um mm -hmm. Was there any point there we looked across at, you know, maybe, I guess, you know, with Irrational there, and we'll, we'll dive into some of the works at Irrational more specifically shortly, but looking over at, say, Bioshock, for example, thinking, okay, I, I could see myself doing that. Was there ever ever that moment there where you're looking across well, and seeing what other people are doing and thinking, I sort could Sort of, because, you know, we brought our work to each other. When I was writing mm -hmm. on a book, he would edit them, and he, he was my, my biggest critic, but it made my work so much better. And he would come home from working on Bioshock, and we would workshop you know, some scenes and some stuff that was happening there. So I actually did contribute, even though I didn't kind of realize it at the time. And um, it's funny, he was working on Bioshock Infinite and he needed a name for, for something. And I came up with Vigors and I, I, the word, oh, uh, I what? was like, oh, you should call that Vigors. And so that is my first credit in the games industry. I named Vigors. So that's really my first. Uh. Yeah, we, that's we, awesome. We bring her in. The company would bring her in all the time. You know, you oh, God. for for usability testing and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, you know, great feedback. And she, she, you know, head her head's been in the space for a long time. Yeah. Like I said, you know, she said we're collaborating and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's in her blood. <laughs> so then, Bill, in terms of your journey into games, uh, I've got I've got some timelines here. What two thousand two to two thousand fourteen with with Irrational there. Now there's quite a few games listed right. along the journey. There's uh, Freedom yeah. Force. There's SWAT four. There's Bioshock. There's Bioshock oh. Infinite. Um, other little yeah. bits and pieces along the way there too. Uh, how did that opportunity first open yeah. up to you? Yeah. So um, yeah, as I said, I went to film school, and uh, it was always like. I'm very passionate about film or you know, any, any kind of visual storytelling I'm into. But um, went to film school. Like I said, parents had the video store. But games were always the thing. I was like, um, it just wasn't a path there. There was no, there were no schools. There were no programs, no online training. There's none of that. Yep. And frankly, there wasn't even development really much in the West. Um, and, and so as I was finishing up school, you started to see the emergence or the reemergence of Western development, particularly on the PC side, because you think about what happened. Nintendo and Sony and then uh, and, uh, Nintendo and Sega and Sony and 
it's all done out um, in Japan. Japan primarily. Yeah, exactly. And so then you had you know, PC gaming, you had, um, you know, the first person shooters, you had, uh, you know, Diablo and all these games that were really emerging. And then with the PlayStation, you started to see Naughty Dog and all these, uh, you know, Insomniac and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I'm finishing up um, my, uh, my, my college. I'm, I'm, I'm interning at Universal Studios and, um, you know, basically at the company called Mostyle Lieberman, who eventually, you know, they were looking for their next script. So I was sort of a script gopher. I was reading, you know, 100 scripts a week or whatever and just giving my critiques and, and saying, hey, this isn't a project we should pursue and that kind of thing. And um, so like a learned a lot about pitching, learned a lot about storytelling and just how to make film. But. I, st I saw this. I saw games were finally as I predicted. And, ha ha, Becky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think about Becky much. I don't know why this is. Uh, this came up again. Um, but anyway, so uh, I, I saw. I saw it was finally um, emerging, and I was like, okay, this is it. So I was like, what can I? How can I get involved? There's no. There's no roadmap. So I basically decided I wasn't going to spend. Uh, I wasn't going to stick around in LA. Came back home and it's like, my, I think the path forward for me is to try and learn what I can. Um, about development, and I'll pick up my old job at Electronics Boutique, um, mm -hmm. what I had, in, what, the job that I had through college. So I started there, uh, and a part of the reason for this was that I remembered that there were a lot of local developers in the Boston area who would go to this one store that I worked at, and so we had people from, you know, Papyrus and Stainless Steel and Rockstar, and uh, well, they were Mad Doc at the time. Yeah, uh, and of course, for Irrational Games. And so I, I started to, to network uh, with some of these people. And, and one of the people who came in, luckily enough, was Ken Levine, the, the oh, creative yeah, director. Just, just uh, yeah, strolling exactly. through. No big deal. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, no offense, but people didn't recognize him or whatever. But yeah. my manager at the time actually introduced me. And this is right after the original Freedom Force had shipped. And uh, they were coming in for, for, for um, I think it was... Um, computer games magazine or whatever uh they, they were looking for because it, it was the cover at the time oh yeah oh awesome yeah and i i, I had set aside a few copies i'd heard they were coming in and, and uh you know started shooting the shit and and, and and chatting and and uh somehow i was able to impress him with my encyclopedic knowledge <laughs> of games uh and we you know he kind of he started to come in more often and we started to become friends and eventually he said hey you should apply for for a qa position a quality assurance position and it was this exactly the kind of break I was looking for because I was I was going to whatever there was they have these things called postmortem Boston, which is like where all the local developers would go to a bar and they just kind of hang out and talk about games and that kind of thing. And so I started networking there, and uh, so I got my foot in the door as, as a QA. And that's, uh, that's fantastic. Oh, uh, right place, right time, uh, being persistent, that whole thing. And um, so it was on this doomed project that uh I'm sure you may or may not have heard of it's a project called the lost and the name rings a bell but i don't really yeah. know more than that yeah no so so it was it was ill-fated it was timing we had all kinds of tech issues with the engine and and it was um you know it's it some really really cool ideas but it was it was basically the the long and the short of it was it was, it was sort of a um a bit of a mashup of zelda and silent hill i guess is the best way you could you could yeah, sort okay. of describe it. it's an interesting pairing um, yeah, you know, it was. And it was a cool game. But ultimately, uh, we were finishing it up. We had rolled, most of the team had rolled off onto other things. And, you know, we were way behind. And, and you know, this tiny team at this point, we were a skeletal crew. And I was one of two testers at the time. We had originally started off as, I don't know, 15 or so testers and sort of whittled the stuff down. And um, I started to help out with some of the production aspects as a sort of mini associate producer. And... 
I noticed that the bugs were starting to pile up, particularly on the design side. And so I went to one of the designers at the time who I had sort of built up a rapport with in terms of the bugs I was putting in. And I was like, hey, I noticed you get um, the list is getting a little bit big. And I felt a little bad because I was putting in the bugs and I knew he was overwhelmed. And I was like, hey, some of these are pretty easy for me to fix. And I've been learning Unreal. Do you mind if I, if I like go ahead and fix some of these for you? And he's like, um, yes. <laughs> and so he st- I started to fix some some miscellaneous things and, and you know, again, really learning a bunch and earn, started to earn a little bit of reputation as someone who you know, do whatever to, to, to get um, to, to help the game. And not not and, just the guy that Ken Levine would chat to every now and then, but you actually you can actually do something. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I started to earn a little bit of cred there and eventually was able to earn a spot on the, uh, we only had three designers on, on SWAT four, but there was, um, the, the team was working on SWAT. They were prototyping that while we were finishing up with the lost and I had learned enough about it and they gave me some tests for SWAT four and I was able to, 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 to transition into level design officially. And, you know, from there, just work my way up to, to, uh, from level design to eventually lead level designer and lead designer and design director, did all kinds of UX stuff. And so, you know, I had my hands in everything. And uh, yeah, I was, was very fortunate, but I think, you know, there's a lot of tenacity and a lot of, uh, I think, I know it's not something you really talk about, a lot of bootstrapping and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I've been very fortunate, you know, very yeah. fortunate to work with some people who are very willing to, to, you know, give me a shot and, and to, to sort of share knowledge and that stuff, that stuff makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. And I mean, on top of that, you know, over those years, you've then gone on to work, uh, work on some truly, you know, phenomenal, really incredibly acclaimed titles in the especially in the case of both Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite as well which must uh when the time came and the two of you were talking about you know forming deep end games and you know striking yeah. out on your own and again in Amanda in your case you know completely changing uh career path as well must give you quite a lot of confidence go well I've I've done it now admittedly you're not you're not developing Bioshock on your own um yeah. but I, I've been through this and I've I've experienced you know, a number of different facets of development and I've, I'm starting to feel quite comfortable with those. The question then is, can I, can I do this in a, in a much smaller team, much smaller mm-hmm. scale? Do I, you know, do I have that skill set ready to go? And I, I guess a point came for you where you felt like that was the case. Well, you know, it's funny because we, when we, when I, when I pitched the, the, the initial concept for perception to, to Amanda, she was really into it, but we, we didn't have plans to to start the company to, to, to build a game. And I, th- I think um, we kind of tricked ourselves into it. You know, it was like I was finishing up grad school and she was doing uh, she were te- you were teaching at the time. No, I actually um, had retired. Uh, I wanted though. to be I wanted to be at home with uh, with our kids. And um, I figured I could go back to teaching whenever I want. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, there is there is that luxury with teaching in that respect. Yeah, yeah. And um, I have to say, I had complete confidence that we could do this because of the pedigree of people who wanted to work with us on this. So I, I mean, if I'm being honest, it was really risky. I had left a very cushy job, irrational, that was doing so well had closed. But there was no question that this is what we should be doing. Like I was pregnant with our third child. And you're just going to upturn your life. Yes, you know we said yes to this because of because of the the team, and because of the idea, and because we knew we could work together. And so, what sounded crazy really was a no brainer. 
Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can I can understand how anyone on the outside would look and go that you know that is crazy because and it is one of the great luxuries of teaching is that it is an incredibly stable career path. Once you're in, now certain pockets of the world, it's hard to get in in the first yeah. place. But once you're in, it's it's pretty hard to you have to do some pretty horrible things to to find yourself out of a yeah. job. Um, yeah. it, it's and so there's there's a great deal of stability there and. To, yep. to you know, put that on the back burner and strike out on your own and take a risk is it's a courageous thing to do, especially when there's dependence involved. Yeah, right in the form of children. I'm, I'm very destructive. I know. I know how to. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Like it's tough. I don't. I don't know how uh, you you were able to to just jump into this, Amanda. Like honestly, we haven't. I guess we haven't talked that much about um, that that leap. You know, it's, it's, it was, it, it's pretty, it was, it was scary. And I know you were, you were certainly worried at the time. Um, and that's why I, I think that the, the real worry, the uncertainty of like, how are we going to do this was, was I think the big thing. And, and I was lucky enough at, at Irrational to have my hands in all kinds of different things. And, you know, Ken really took me under his wing and learned a lot about the business side of things, learned a lot about pitching, learned a lot about marketing, PR, you name it, you know, but uh, you know, in terms of how are we going to do this thing? Listen, I, 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 it's, it's tricky because I feel like I have a good sense for how to make something that's accessible to, to broad audiences. Like, and that sounds really like, oh, I've got a big head or whatever. But, you know, to come up with something that is going to be broadly appealing, you know, it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really like, and that just doesn't interest me. Like, I'm not interested in chasing realism or, you know, following suit with what we know works. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at, it's very easy to identify the kind of trends and, you know, and this is sort of, um, yeah, jump on the back of them and keep going. Yeah, and it, like that, that's not interesting to me. That's why I, I talk about the mashups and that kind of thing. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to go out and pitch. We did. We pitched a few few pubs, and it was very similar to what what I experienced when we pitched Bioshock, which was just like, "What are you talking about? Why why, why does anyone want to play underwater and and like <laughs> uh, objectivist utopias and like all that sort of thing? like? What are you what are you talking about? Jokes that? on you." And then they yeah, just slap uh, this thing called System Shock in front of them and go, hey, this is the sort of thing that people want. Maybe you should just well, give us The crack. funny thing is that that was the biggest hurdle we had. Is nobody oh. wanted that. Publishers didn't want No, they wanted nothing to do with System Shock. Oh, they, they, the, the sales-wise, it wasn't wasn't a runaway success. And I was like, well, yeah, it was made in a closet. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, there's a tiny yeah, team. And, you know, um, so it's a phenomenal game. And it's it's just a testament to the talent that was was on that thing, you know, between you know, John Che and um uh you know obviously ken and the whole the whole crew there uh, amazing talent but um yeah so i knew i was gonna be able to pitch it um you, you talk about playing a, a game as a blind woman people are gonna be like what are you what why like what, what? it's <laughs> not an it, yeah i yeah. totally thought i wanted to play a game like that yeah know? it's, it's yeah. not the not the obvious thing just like from Pennsylvania is like oh you took the bachelor and made it a re- metroidvania with dracula like no it's not the most yeah. obvious thing in the world but i mean um, as, as someone who far too often and uh, continues to find myself and i don't know how it happens continues to find myself on the couch watching the bachelor when it's on like, i keep telling myself <laughs> yeah. i'm, not, I'm yeah. not going to why uh, this is this is crap why am i wasting my time and then all of a sudden i'm there sitting alongside my wife watching the latest season of the bachelor bachelorette or whatever yeah. like it's fast food. I've, I've thrown, I've thrown, my, I've thrown myself here. I'm going to cop this, yeah. cop that on Twitter now. But, <laughs> but um, like it's, it's just one of those things. Like how did I? But it's infectious somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Absolutely. And so it doesn't need to be the the tried and true. There there are these other pathways that have that same compelling factor about them. Yes. That can be yeah, delivered in a totally different way. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I want to I want to find uh, you know the weird stuff that we can we can really fall in love with ourselves, and and you just hope that that translates to the audience, you know. And, yeah. And, and I've been lucky enough to to always not always, but you know, usually find the audience um, that that connects with it, and you 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 touch people when you 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 sort of hit that that sweet spot. People are like, you know, hey, this this game really spoke to me. That you know, that's kind of why you do it. <laughs> you do it because you love creating it, but also you love connecting with that, the, the, those people and finding something that really hasn't been done before. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, perception is a, it, it's a, a game with um, feminist topics. It's about spatial intelligence and it's about, um, you know, accepting help and all the, all the different layers that we talk about. Um, and, you know, to, to, when, when people play it and they, they connect with that, they connect with those aspects. And I'm like, yeah, I really found it fascinating because when it comes down to it, you know, my favorite movies, for example, are always the ones that I can, I can, you know, do deep dives into. Like I, I was recently uh, obsessed with the lighthouse. Mm. Did you, did I, you see? Uh, uh, no, I, you no see I haven't it? seen it. I'm, I'm not yeah. the biggest movie it's, consumer, but um, okay. I do know of it sure. and I've, okay. I've heard, I've heard some good things. Yeah, I know. It's just very layered. Uh, it's, it's dense and there's all kinds of literary references. Right. We like nuance. Yeah. We we like things that you can sort of go back and forth and, and talk about and analyze. And But I like to, I also like to, to, to sort of trick you a little bit. I like to, to make it seem like, oh, it's a it's a spooky game. You're playing as a, someone without sight. And so it's like, okay, that's an interesting concept. But then you layer in all these other things. The same with Ransylvania. I mean, a lot of ways yeah. not to get uh, to... Uh, inside baseball here but in a lot of ways it's 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 a, it's a deconstruction of platformers and yeah. um metroidvania is a lot of what uh and, and games in general and uh so a lot of what we're playing with here is, is is taking a look at uh the things that you're used to in games and we just accept they're like oh yeah that's how games work or whatever when it, but, but really shining a light on how in a loving way being like this is ridiculous yeah. <laughs> this is it, it's, yeah. it's all good fun but it's like um so the, the people who are, are gonna Hopefully that comes across, but the people who who play it and 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 that resonates where they they're able to identify it and, and start start that conversation, that's the sweet spot for me. You know, it's like oh, it's a game about dating dating werewolves and, and vampires <laughs> and that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's also uh, this de- deconstruction that I think um, should be interesting. It's got a lot of parody and satire too, so it's it's definitely Which is good cheap. to hear. Yeah. yeah, I think given we the subject matter, I think you you couldn't couldn't help but poke a little bit of fun, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we we parody games because we love them and it's a loving send off and it's a love letter to games. But we definitely satirize the reality dating part because I think I've got some problems with reality TV and how manipulative it, it is. And, oh, I um, agree. Yeah. So so um, that's the media in general. But yeah. So yeah. Really like, yeah. yeah. So our, our game, it pokes fun at a lot, but it also zings a lot as well. No, I, I, I like that. What was the, like, how did that idea first bubble up in the first place? We obviously, we kind of touched on it before, but like, what was sure. firing in the brain that led to this, this particular okay. moment? Um, and did, no. were, there, were there other <laughs> the very, ideas the, bubbling as the well? very specific, um, I haven't really talked about this, but the very specific um, sort of moment, if you will, is I, I, <laughs> I play um, Symphony of the Night um, basically once a year at least, right? Yep. So, um, it's worthy of that. 
Yeah, no, I know. I absolutely adore the series, but Symphony in particular. And I remember being um, in, the, I think it's like the Crystal Caverns or whatever, the the, the very basement of the castle. Yep. I'm running around. I remember seeing they have these uh, Salem witches flying around on broomsticks. And I remember being like, so it, for some reason it clicked on I played the game a million times. It clicked to me that the weirdness of it was like, why does Dracula have all of these different monsters in his castle? Like, what is that? It's like, do you have like some kind of ball? Or something like that, some sort of giant gala, and they all just came and hang out, and nobody left the party after the fact. You know, split to different corners of the building afterwards. Yeah, yeah, just sort of, yeah, just hanging out at the sort of after party. They live down here now. Yeah, exactly. Place is huge. uh, It'll take like six months for him to find me anyway. So who cares? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So uh, that that you know, I was like, well, well, you know, what if it what if it was having a ball? What if there was a you know. and he's dating all these these people or whatever. And and, and uh, I've always been fascinated by the idea of, of romancing games. We're we're huge Bioware fans, mm. you know, going back yep. to the Baldur's Gate, but also more importantly, I think Mass Effect, and to a lesser extent, Dragon Age. I didn't play it as much as you did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the idea, the, the relationship building, and that's the feeling of real consequence, and obviously the Telltale games, and obviously anything that's about feeling like you're having an, having an impact on uh, the characters in the world, and. Uh, I was like, well, these are things that I love. <laughs> Taking the the gameplay from you know the the, the Castlevania series and Metroidvanias and, and um, you know, Metroid and that whole thing, um, and actually giving it context, actually giving it uh, uh, not just a throwaway world or throwaway characters, not the real story. Yeah, and that that sounds I know that sounds kind of snooty or whatever, but I think we're leaving a lot on the playing field when it comes to the genre. I think there's we build I think uh, Metroidvanias. They have these hugely immersive worlds that are like really really um they're just gorgeous and well thought out and that kind of thing but they're they're ridiculous and they don't they're kind of they exist in a vacuum in a lot of ways you know yeah. i think if you look at the, the different areas of symphony of the night like you could swap in any area and it'll be like yeah okay cool we have a coliseum here sure yeah that makes sense <laughs> um but giving that context where it's like oh because it, this part of the castle exists because this is where this particular character lives this particular monster and it's themed after them, and it's like it, everything about it says um, a little bit, tells you more about what that character is about. And yeah, letting letting their personality shine through in the environment as well as just the things they say or do. Yep, absolutely. Context. That's fascinating. So that's that's that, that's the sort of origin, if you will. And and uh, you know, we we had talked about it. We were working on this other game for a while. We kicked around the ideas, but we didn't allow ourselves to really take it seriously for a few months. And then I think things got bleak. Then we're just like, okay, you know what? Hey, if we had our druthers, if we could work on anything, let's just pretend we're starting from, from, from square one, which, which of these two titles would you rather be working on? Which would you rather spend a couple of years of your life working on? And she, she was like, hundred percent Romanceylvania. But I was like, no, no, no. Which one of these games? She's like, Romanceylvania. I said, forget the butt. Let's just, let's just talk about which one are you most passionate about and i mean honestly that's another huge leap of faith we were working on something else we had a play like like you could play it it was real right that far along okay and to abandon it completely to start from scratch that is another absolute huge leap of faith but for me it was i had to work on romance Slovenia. like it it wasn't even a it wasn't even a question it was it was a huge leap of faith sure that that's that's really yeah really courageous and it's, it does seem to be a theme that's kind of uh, trending through this uh, through this entire conversation but it does well, for, take for a lot her, of cuts. 
for her, it's courage because I think she knows what she's doing. For me, it's just that I'm stupid. And I think <laughs> oh I'm just like, oh, yeah, let's do this other thing. And, and she'll be like, wait a minute, we spent all this time and money and all the, the game was uh, almost done. Thing. Yeah, exactly. And I was just like, no, no, this, this other thing's way cooler and we're going to do this thing. It's, it's courage, <laughs> but it's also trust. Like, I, yeah, I yeah. know yeah. the game we're making now is what we were meant to be. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. So continuing yeah. the trend of kind of courage and trust, there's there's the other aspect of it, and you've spoken about how you know there's the 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 old process of pitching games to publishers and all those sorts mm-hmm. of things that come into it. Then there's the other pathway that kind of made itself available over the last gradually over the last decade of things like Kickstarter, which is where yeah. Perception uh, first took off, and Romansylvania is doing the same. Um, yep. What is that like for you? I guess as two parts of a company there, but also as individuals. Uh, when you're putting your creative endeavor out there to not not to a publisher and there's, there's kind of this, where they they act as an arbiter, but just to the whole world and say like, hey, do you like it? Like, what, what's what's what? And do you like it enough that you might consider pledging sure. some support to help us make this thing a reality? Like, what's what's that like? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, lots to lots to tussle with, I so, imagine. So it's really great for me in, in, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I tend to be very secretive. I tend to play my cards very close to my chest. And um, I think that gets me into trouble. I think that that gets me in, in, in trouble in the sense that um, I will keep, keep tinkering with something forever and I won't make the kind of progress that I, I would need to. And by putting it out there to the world and saying, like, hey, this is the thing we're working on. Look at all the stuff we've built. And knowing that I have to present that, knowing that I have to say, like, this is what the game, this is how it's actually going to go down. Because listen, ideas are a dime a dozen. And to be able to, to say like, oh, I have this really great idea for a game and this concept, and that it's like awesome. Doesn't mean anything <laughs> until you get it on screen, until you yeah. can actually communicate it visually as you would uh, either either through a trailer or through hands-on, and uh, you know actually proving out proving it out as a concept in, in yeah, it's about execution, one hundred percent. And um, so with uh, you're going to Kickstarter and and, sh- and, and building enough of the game that you have to then put it out there and say like, this is the, the, the thing that we're going for. It's not done. We've got a long way to go. Um, but you can get it like constantly questioning and being able to, to, to say, is it, how is this going to read? How are people, are, how are we going to make people give a shit about this? How are we going to people get people to the point where they're super engaged? And yeah, they'll, they'll back us. They'll, they'll be like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to spread the word. and I'm going to um, you know, pledge to one of these rewards or whatever it is. And, and, and that kind of buy-in, is I think really critical. I think this is honestly where a lot of a lot of games falter is that they they kind of, um, well, you know, they, they, a lot of navel gazing and a lot of like, oh, this idea is really you fall in love with your design, mm-hmm. right? And you're never really questioning how is it actually going to come across to the end user because in your head it's very different than when you actually practically work out all the mechanics and work out the okay how are we gonna you know rig this particular boss uh, this particular model to work in the boss fight and like things. Man, oh man, the collaborative effort and the tremendous amount of, um, you know, frankly, sacrifice you got to make. It's games are about compromise. They're about negotiation. And uh, you know, you may have the most brilliant idea in the world, but the second you, you know, no, no, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, right? And that's development for you. That's um, basically taking everything you, you have so crystal clear in your head, but the second you talk to an animator, the second you talk to programmer the site that you, anyone else on the team and they're gonna be like no 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 <laughs> that's not it yeah uh, it's not in this 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 and this yeah 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 and so um 
it's really important to understand that everything in, in games is a negotiation. It's a negotiation with everyone on the team and then either with the publisher or, you know, the, the sort of quote unquote gatekeepers, uh, you know, the, the platform holders and, and also, also with the audience. And that's the most important negotiation is being like, hey, what do you all want to see? Wait, do you want to play? play this? Yeah. Like that's what Kickstarter is. It's it's shouting to the world. Hey, do you want to play this? And having people be like, yes, yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. And it's it's just such a logical thing. You know, we're we're making this game because we know that there is an audience that wants sure. to date monsters sure. and also slay monsters. We just know that those people are out there. And so by going directly to Kickstarter, it just makes so much sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you're 100% right. Um, and again, it's like over the years, so many conversations, this is anecdotal, so you gotta be careful there, but yeah. so many conversations you observe online and have with your gamer friends, mm -hmm. just about, A, talking about who you sort of, who you, who you, who you sex with on, on the, the yeah, yeah, exactly. I yeah. was like, so anyone else pick Gareth? Yeah, to, yeah. You know, yeah. it's a thing. It's an anecdotal thing. And so many of my friends who play games are are are, are all about the the relationships in them. And it's like, yeah. yeah, let's just put let's put that to the forefront without it being a dating sim, because I don't want this yeah. to be a dating sim. Um I mean, we, we love them. We've played a lot of them, but I in a lot of ways I think the the, the genre is is rife for shakeup, and I think a lot of well, not again. It sounds like a big head or whatever, but innovation and frankly, you know, streamlining, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's that's kind of what we did um, with, with Bioshock. I think we, we streamlined a lot of the RPG, right? I think yeah. we, we yeah. took a lot of this, and that was one of the goals. We wanted to take all the the um, the RPG elements of, of System Shock Two and, and other games, and, and try and find a way to make it so it's it's more gettable, and that's how you get something like. You know, literally the conversations we had about shooting bees out of your hands, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, where it's, how do you make this stuff awesome? How do you make it so it's going to connect with more people in yeah. interesting and fresh ways? And that's where we're at. That's that's, that's exactly what we're doing is we look at the the, um, uh, the visual novels, we look at dating sims, and it's like, you know, frankly, from my perspective, I, I feel like I don't have a lot of patience. Mm. Um, and I, I like when games respect my time. And, you know, I think the, the player's time is very valuable. There's so many choices out there now for entertainment. Oh, more than ever. Yeah, I know. And so you have to be fiercely competitive. And the second where you, you feel something dragging, I'm just going to bounce. I think that's, that's where a lot of the audience is. Yeah. And you need to be able to take, take your time and establish character and build up the romance and the tension and the ust yeah. and all that sort of thing. But uh, you know, if if it's dragon, if it's not, if you're if you're if you're stretching things out to make it a longer experience, no, nah, not gonna do it. The second yeah. I detect that, I'm like, you're not respecting my time. I have a what well, you see my N64 stack. I just you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. plenty of other games, and Netflix is killing it. And... But you're right. As as a rule, consumers are more willing than ever to just flick over and there's there's a yeah. bit of research there into you know yeah. attention spans and those sort of things but there is this on the flip side there is also this plethora of content out there whether it is in video game form whether it's you know something they can stream via netflix whether it's a movie yeah. or music or whatever the case is and it's all here at the tip of your fingers if if the person does feel like their time is being wasted in any way or yeah. just putting a little yeah. bit of extra meat on the bone there just to flesh it out and you know yeah. hit some arbitrary we want to hit x number of hours you know game yeah. time People I'm, are, I'm, I'm gonna say so to this. Um, and this is part of the reason why, you know, I love the mechanic in, in System Shock 2, the the, um, uh, the resurrection chambers, the res chambers, whatever they're called, um, in System Shock 2. And to me, it's funny because the argument that I made at the time was, 
it was very close to what Symphony of the Night did, which was it kept you in the, it kept you in the game. Um, now, obviously, when you die in Symphony of the Night, you'll spawn at the last save point. So there was a, yes. a lot of meaningful, um, you know, like you, there was a lot of sting to death if you didn't make it to the next save mm -hmm. point. But they would always have a save point right before a boss. And so when you, you jump into that boss fight and you, you basically you, you die, you know, you're going to start right there again. You can jump right back in. And whenever you die in Symphony, it's always like, that was my fault. I know what I have to do. I, if I dodge better. If I use my powers better, heal better. Yeah, and you go back and, and, and that stickiness of getting right back in there. <clears throat> For me, that the argument that I was making to the team was, when do people stop playing the game? It's when they die. And this has become less of an issue now. So you die and you're like, shit, I lost that progress. I have to go back and replay that thing. Or I don't even remember where I was. And so I, I, I am not even going to bother. And just, they stop. And if they stop once, they could possibly be stopping forever. And that's that's you know, that's death, right? And so yeah. uh, I made the case to be like, we got we have to basically take what we had to instruct you. I was like, this is so addictive. This really keeps you in the experience. And if we're trying to broaden the, the audience, this is the best way to do it. Because people are going to bounce your game when you die. And so, you know, we came with the Vita Chambers, and it's basically the same mechanic in Sister Chalk. Um, and in fact, at one point, we had a, um, it would deduct money from you, like in, in Sister Chalk 2. Um, the, the feeling was that it was that created more and more of a uh, death loop. And, and so we, we ultimately just made it free. And that was hugely controversial at the time. I, in fact, I remember it being mentioned like three or four times <clears throat> the following GDC about. How awesome is it that games are doing this? That it's not about like the sting of like failure and mm -hmm. oh you're 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 done you're constantly dead. being penalized. And, penalized. and that, that was a hugely influential thing. Again, it was just ripped directly out of Sister Shock too. Um, and I don't know of any other games that really did that. But then you started to see games where when you fall out of the world, they just bamf you right back. And you started to see more and more mm -hmm. of that. And and that is that was so influential because up until that point, and I'm not saying exactly that point, but. You know, games were stuck in this thing about like we're going to get people to pump in more quarters. Yeah. Like you think of the origin and a lot of the like um, the the nature of how arcade driven things were, and then also you go into the NES days when it's like we can't build that much of a game. It's really only about a half hour of content here, and so <laughs> how can we create we a loop that gets the person coming back? Bring on the pain, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I warned you about tangents. I went off on a tangent. Yeah. There. So that's I'm, right. I'm no, very. No, that's fine by me. Romancelvania crowdfunding, loving it. <laughs> so, yeah. what would be the one thing? And I mean, you know, we can talk about some of the the finer details of the Kickstarter and how people can support and all that sort of thing in, uh, shortly. But what what would be that one big thing if you're really trying to catch someone's eye? What what is it about this game that I guess that you are both so in love with that you want people to attach themselves to as well? Is there something in particular? For, I mean, oh, yeah. For, for me, for me, it's just the best of both worlds. You know, you, you get the fun gameplay, but you also get a great story. And for me, I find games that don't have both of those things not as appealing. So for me, it's just that that Reese's uh, peanut butter cup combo, you know, chocolate and peanut butter. They don't go together, but they go together, you know? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I think uh, it's, tough to talk, it's tough to talk about mashups, but I think that... Uh, really taking the idea taking that level of immersion that i think uh, metroidvanias do so well the worlds that are just like uh, you know that the, the look and the feel and the the atmosphere is just you know i think through the roof but making it so that we can we can take that even further and make it so i'm i'm doing this i'm traveling through this gorgeous land that i i, I feel really um immersed in and i i have a, a this meaning behind it it's not just like a space that i'm traversing 
and yeah. again uh, contextualizing the the levels if you will uh with the the individuals and and, and really saying like my actions have meaning that's not to say that it's a a game that's all about like a thousand choices and no. it's not about like it, it's not about those kind of repercussions but it's about making it feel like you have you have purpose and there's impact and they, these are these are um kind of ethereal things it's tough to, to wrap your head around but uh, yeah, i think they're really important i think that the same way with 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 not keep not to keep bringing up bioshock um but at the time we, again we were pitching bioshock um a lot of uh a lot of publishers were like, well, who gives a shit? The shooters, when you're, you're playing a shooter, people just, they don't care about the environment. They want to just run down the hall, you know? And it's like, no, no, we want to get people to slow down and, you know, soak up the atmosphere and, 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 and like let people pull the information from the world rather than yeah. cutscene, right? Yeah. Come down this hall and here's a cutscene and there's a giant 30 foot demon guy who's going to attack you. And, and it's going to be awesome. There's blood everywhere. And blah, it's like, who cares? Uh, there's so many games that do that. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, as a creator, unless you have, you know, I don't know, not to, to pick on um, The Last of Us, but unless you have that kind of budget, you got to find a way to stand out. Mm, and that's yeah. what we're doing. Is, is, I think the ways we stand out is are with our, our character, uh, with our characters, with the world, and how it all threads together. And, uh, you know, this, this notion of um, uh, drive and desire. It's fun. And, and people haven't seen something like this. It's, it's, yeah. I really think that we're doing something different. And I think it's just got, every time we say the name to somebody, people smile. And that's a, that's a thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, even yeah. when you hear the name, Romansylvania, like, instantly yeah. there's, there's certain things that are firing off. Like, if you know even a little bit about games, you know, you have a fundamental understanding of what the, the Castlevania idea is. We understand what romance is. We're slapping these two things together. Then there's obviously yeah. these other layers that we've discussed pre as well that come into play as well. But you just see the name and instantly there's there's certain things that are firing you you have a, an understanding of what we're in for here well i think that yeah 100 percent. and i think right now the state of games is that they're either super serious oh everything's sad and everything's depressed um or it's like light-hearted super goofy uh like you know like hey you know i don't know the first thing that popped in my head and nothing against it but you know like octodad you know like, oh yeah that's but and that's great. Completely I, I love that both of those exist. I love right. that the last. Ex they uh, should both exist. Exactly. But I, I feel like there's a lot of interesting space in between. You can you can take on serious themes. You can do you can satirize games. You can satirize the media. You can do all that sort of thing. But you can do it in ways where you've got um, uh, you know the sort of ridiculousness that we have in our game. We've got um, you know Lulu the, Lulu the Cthulhu. You know um, uh, and it just Dracula. Um, you know, falling falling in love with all the sort of wacky monsters we have. I, wanna, wanna I mean, the, the fact that in Romansylvania you can make out with a werewolf and then beat up a haunted meatball, that's a thing. Like, we... <laughs> it's just... It's yeah. irreverent and it's fun, and I think that's appealing. And yeah, I'm sure I mean, there's people listening right now that are baffled by that pairing but are also incredibly <laughs> intrigued by that pairing and want to see it for themselves. Right. So. it's gonna be wild yeah, there's, there's there's so many like i think that um yeah it's it, it's it's a really tough game to, to talk about because you just gotta like you kind of have to see it and get into the groove and be like okay i get it the, the this this is a game where they're letting their hair down and they're just like everything is fair game yeah <laughs> yeah 
No, that's fantastic. Now, uh, we will cycle back to the Kickstarter and how people can get involved and, uh, and all that shortly. But as, as we start to wind things down a little bit, one big question that I had, it wasn't specific to the game, it was actually specific to the two of you and, and game development. I've, I've spoken to plenty of people that are, have worked in games various capacities. I haven't spoken to too many couples that are both uh, in the development scene and both specifically working on the same game. Now, one of the... Um, trickiest things that anyone in development and actually anyone in any sort of creative field really can encounter is the fact that they they topple down the well it it can be this massive time consuming thing and um in some case you've got the one person that's in that really creative space and then the other half of the relationship that that isn't working in the same sort of field so there's there's a there's a balancing act that occurs there what you but what can happen is that person topples down the well and you know lose forest from the trees and all that sort of thing how what is it like for the two of you that are both working on the same project uh both have eyes on the same prize there but there's also the family there's also there's those other commitments and all those sort of things you've got to manage again creative endeavors people just can lose themselves in them sometimes how do you keep yourselves in check because it's Sometimes, again, when it's that one person that's working on the endeavor on their own, the other person's there to help maybe pull them out sometimes, go, hey, like, family's here. But when you're both on it, you know, I'd imagine the ideas, there there might be that moment of inspiration and one of you says something to the other and all of a sudden it's, there's the excitement and then how do you both potentially have to go, hang on, I need to stop for a sec. We've got the kids here or, or whatever. Is that, is that, is that easy to do? Have you had, no, it's, it's so hard. And, um, time becomes like irrelevant. It's just bizarre because there's no division between work life and home life. Everything is here in this house. And, um, when we were working on perception, we were juggling too much. We had way too much stress and we actually both got physically ill. We came down with mono from stress. Um, and it was really hard because it was right after it was during GDC and PAX. And oh, we had crazy newborn. time. I mean, like GDC, PAX, newborn, a toddler and two elementary schoolers. It was it was total chaos. And so after that, we had to really start changing our lives um, from a wellness perspective. We started eating differently. Um, I started doing meditation and yoga. We started really paying attention to our health and, and started drawing some more boundaries between work and in life you know for a while we thought it was great to multitask we were like oh we're at soccer and we're also workshopping a scene in the game but that it, it, it takes was kind away of too from much. the soccer we moment. do have to stop we do have to be with the kids and and play with them and leave work behind sometimes but also we've had to pull in a lot of help listen we're we need help with the kids right now so we we've drawn more boundaries but with our kids being at home for school now I mean, the timing is 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 pretty rough, but um. Well, so, yeah, uh, it's all it's all tricky. I mean, I, th- I think you're you're right, and I think it, the the biggest thing, the pattern here, is about um, being mindful of, of things, and um, I think also being flexible. Uh, this sort of <laughs> this sort of lifestyle, if you will, uh, it doesn't doesn't function on a rigid schedule yeah. or um, yeah, you know, flexibility is key. Um, yeah, no, you have to in a lot of ways you have to embrace the chaos. I think that. Um, we're fortunate enough that we've been able to to say like we, we can we can take our time to a degree um, and get our messaging right, feel our way out, prototype things, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, there are lots of teams out there who have very rigid schedules. They need it done by a specific point, and we're we're 
we are, you know, this, our Kickstarter is where it is because we're sort of at the end of that that line now, where it's like we need to, well, this thing needs to to, to get the the, the the final thumbs up and the yeah. whole thing. Um, but I, I think making sure that you're not too rigid, I think, is the biggest thing. Is is because obviously family is going to come first, no matter what. Um, and uh, I, I think you need to be able to take a step back, be mindful, and be able to assess constantly how things are going. How's the project going? How's the family going? How's our relationship going? All that kind of thing. And it made just constant change. That's the biggest thing is, um, uh, you know, just finding ways to, to adapt and being open to that. And I think it's a lot of that is just about being um, incredibly honest, being able to say like, Hey, is this, is this actually working? And it's really, it's really easy to fall into a routine and to say, uh, you know, this is how development goes and this is how we're going. This is what we know. And there were times on, on perception where, um, we're, whether it's something in the narrative or whatever, uh, I would be, this is our first time in, in, in the trenches together and, uh, you know, in the nitty gritty of development, you're talking about how a scene should be presented narratively. And I would walk through it and she had written something and was like, okay, well, this is the way we should really go because in practice, um, this, this doesn't come across in the player and, and she, she would be like, well, wait a minute. Why, why does it have to be that way? And I was like, well, hold on a second. Yeah. Why does it have to be that way? That's the way I'm used to it. That's the way I work, but there's probably some alternatives. And so, um, you know, weighing everything very carefully and being able to, to take a step back, is this working? If not, what are our alternatives? So a lot of ways is just being the best problem solver you can be, right? Yeah, um, with, with kids too. I think, you know, uh, emotional resilience, being able to bounce back, because if you get hung up with something that's going on with a kid, it's going to impact the work. And mm -hmm. if you're hung up on something with work, I think you need to be able to deal with what you're dealing and then be able to move on quickly. So in, in, addition, to, in addition to flexibility, it's that resilience and it's that bounce back because there is no downtime. There is no low time. Like we're either doing kid stuff or we're doing game stuff right now. I, yeah. I you know, it, soon hopefully we'll be able to have a little bit more of that liminal space where we can you know, just go have fun. Yeah. But um, well, hopefully the world really opens up in such a way time. that allows it too. So, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing too, is, 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 um, you know, as Amanda said, we're, we're always working, uh, it's always in the context of obviously we're with family, it's family first, but when we're, we're doing anything that's social, doing anything that's, um, uh, you know, basically our sort of independent relax hour and our time, if you will, mm -hmm. that that's time that we try and find ways to channel, uh, stuff that can be used as a reference or inspiration. And that, that, so being in the, 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 the comedy space has been huge for us because, you know, for the longest time we're working on, uh, the, the other game. And as Amanda said, we were like, this is, this is too heavy and all yeah. that sort of source material. It's dark. And when we made this shift, it was like our, our source material is stand-up comedy. You know, our source material is, is always sunny in Philadelphia or something like that. Eighties like, rom-com. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's just like, it's so much better. Yeah. So, so yeah, they always say, write what you, what you know and write what you love. Yeah. And so with this, it's just like, if, if it's gonna, feed your energy. That's, that's, a, uh, I think an integral part of this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that our team laughs ourselves sick on a daily basis. Like we come up with silliest things and every single time people are like, this is the best team in the end. This is the most fun I've ever had in it. And that means so much that working on this game brings the people who work on it joy as well. Like we just, if you could see our discord, it's like nothing but us laughing. It's yeah. just, it's, it's a joy. 
Yeah. Which also, you know, when you when you add that sort of atmosphere and environment that's been created amongst the team on top of the the current world situation, it's probably the perfect team to be involved with right now, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. quietly. It's a blessing. So yeah, a lot of ways, every every day is is, is a sort of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to to just like, hey, let's focus on on trying trying to find joy. That's it. That, that's sort of the mission. A lot of ways is to 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 find and spread joy with this, rather than like hey, we're gonna make a commentary on yeah. some dark thing it's no. like hey let's make people laugh. hey we've got a we've got a boomerang that's made out of bones and we're calling it a bonerang and that makes people laugh because boner and sorry yeah, it, 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 it worked on majors then so you're yeah. on something with that name yeah <laughs> and as an australian where boomerangs are a big thing still not offended by it either so you've nailed it <laughs> <laughs> um so is there anyone out there that you've worked with or look at from afar that really inspires you in the way you go about your work? Um, so industry-wise, um, yeah, I, I've been lucky enough to work with some immensely talented people. Like I think, I think like you know, Irrational was was sort of a university of, of game development, and so every day a lot of very talented like, people have been through. Yeah, oh it is. Yeah, and you can see it now. I mean, as it's, it's, it's heartbreaking as it was that the whole thing kind of uh, imploded or whatever. Um, it's awesome to, to watch the, the, the people scattered to the four winds and, and, you know, people working on, um, you know, the next Bioshock, people working on, you go off and work on Dishonored, people go off and, you know, um, Forrest, uh, Dowling, my good friend who, uh, yeah, Flame of the Flood and, uh, Drake Hollow. Yeah. yeah. So Drake Hollow was, uh, it was top five, uh, Steam yesterday, I believe. And oh, so, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, and they deserve it. They're actually a few of the, a few of the people on their team sort of in between projects, they helped us on Romansylvania and that sort of thing um and uh but just to see that that take off it's, it's amazing and so again you see these people and then you, you have people like uh, jordan thomas and, and um steven alexander they went off and did uh, the blackout club yeah um and see the sort of amazing experimental stuff they were doing with pseudo live acting and, and the sort of live game if you will um so that's that's awesome that's really great so people who in terms of the industry like i don't know it's it, it's a bit weird like you know, a lot of ways I look up to, to Amanda, but at the same time, it's weird to, you don't really say that. You don't really think that, um, about, uh, people that you really know. It's like, Oh, I'm a, am I inspired <laughs> by, uh, you know, Steven Alexander? I mean, yes, I am. He's a hugely talented, uh, person and he does amazing work. And I think he's one of the most, um, talented minds in the industry. And, uh, but it's like, do I, do I, do I, I don't know if I look up to him, you know, it's kind of, kind of strange, but you know, I, I'm lucky enough to still be, um, uh, Ken, Ken Levine is, is, is uh, remains one of my closest friends. And, um, I, I, to me, inspiration is really about, um, being able to bounce ideas off of and to basically one up things. And that's what we do when we collaborate, yeah. right? We, we basically get together and we know a problem. And so we, we, we kick things around and we come at it from different angles and reference different things. And, and to me, that's the most inspiration, um, that I get is, 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 is people who can, you know, you, you can kind of, um, I guess, uh, fence with, you know, to be able to, to it's that to collaborative process. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want people to challenge you. I think, you know, in development, there are plenty of teams who have a, a bunch of, uh, yes folk who are just gonna be like, Oh, that's awesome. This game's the, this, this, the best idea or whatever. And that's not how you make great stuff. Um, in those situations, if you have enough money to throw at it, eventually you'll get there. But the more you can really, cause really what it comes down to is you're creating something that people are going to challenge. 
the audience yeah. is gonna be like, wait, this doesn't make any sense, or that's stupid, or that the you know the frame rate's terrible here, and uh, they'll you know, pick like, the teeth out of it. If there's something wrong, they'll fight it for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so you want a team that's that that is resilient and that is uh, to some degree self-effacing and and maybe a little bit insecure and being like, oh, is this good enough? And constantly questioning that, so that you can really hammer on it. And the thing that you release it has been so thoroughly uh, beaten up. Yeah. Um, and so th- th- those are the kind of people that that uh, mm-hmm. that I really enjoy associating with, and that I'm inspired by are, are the ones who who will get down in there and, and, and essentially get into a fight with you. <laughs> you know, like uh, ha- hammer it out. That's what you got to do. And, but uh, I mean, that also probably um, is indicative of the respect between both parties. Also, in that particular yeah. case, you're willing to go, you know, hammer and tong at one another. But yeah. at the yeah. end of the day, it's for the betterment of. Yeah. project or whatever. I, 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 cannot, I can't I can't function uh, with if, if people can't be direct, if people can't um, <laughs> be honest. Yeah. Um, again, you're 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 putting you're putting your life on uh, into your into your baby, right? It's it's you're you're putting yourself out there. You're making yourself vulnerable. You're risking your time and your money, and and frankly, your livelihood. Um, to, to get out there and put, put create something that you're passionate about. And if people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. Uh, uh, that's I, I enjoyed that. It's like, no, no, no. Tell me what sucks about it right now. <laughs> I can't get, I can't make this thing as good as it's going to be. And let that's be confrontational about it. But, you know, I, I, I tend to be brutally honest um, to, to a fault at times, right? Like where it's like. Yeah, it, but it makes you better. Like when I look at the notes from our play tests that we've had friends and family do, I throw away the ones that are good because it's like, oh, I'm glad that made him laugh, but it's already written. There's nothing I can do about it. Whereas, like, he didn't get that. I yeah. need to make sure that wording is more clear. Yeah. It, yeah. Good, good feedback. It, it lasts a nanosecond. It's like a potato chip. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. It doesn't, you're happy for a split second and then it's useless. Yeah. Then, um, like, hey, where, where's the next thing? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that's just not. It, it's nice, but it's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not sustainable either. No. No, no absolutely. So, Amanda, yeah. is there anyone in, in on your side that you've really looked up to, maybe in terms of your writing or anything like that at all? Well, um, you know, from a writer's standpoint, um, I respect writers that can pivot and do different things. I, I find it fascinating when people can... Um, go from genre to genre and still write amazing things. Um, there's a writer that uh, I met um, years ago, and I think she's awesome, uh, Delilah S. Dawson. And she writes in all these different genres, and she does it all really, really well while maintaining a very fantastic brand for herself. Like, she really... it's When, when you look at her Twitter or Instagram or whatever, like, you know exactly who she is, but then she can write all these different things, but it all makes sense as, a, as, as far as, like, a personal brand goes, and I think that that's really cool. Um, when I was growing up, I read... Uh, my favorite series was by Robert Jordan, and yep. uh, I got to meet him, which was incredible, and um, I, I love his work, and it inspired me for years, and being able to meet him, and, you know, we cut our wedding cake with a sword... Uh, from his series and I showed it to him and he looked at it and he said, you are a badass. And I was like, <laughs> I took that nugget away in my mind and anytime I need it, I can call it up. And uh, so, yeah, he inspired me. Um, it, even our, you know, one of our team members, Kat Scully, you know, she, she just launched um, her, her debut book, Jennifer Strange. 
And not only did she write it, but she did all of the art for it. And she does art for our game, but she also can write and she can do all these things. So I really respect people who have that nice, big, broad range of talent. I mean, she it even likes. worked on Cartoon Network. She can animate. She, she can do everything. So I think that I really respect people who are able to pivot and try new things and who aren't afraid to try new things. Yeah, being malleable is a really handy asset for any team and it's something that... I wish I could personally aspire to. Like I've got, I've got some very narrow skill sets, and I'd love, I'd look out there, and I, I try and dabble with other things. I'm not quite executing as much as I'd like to, but uh, I do look on quite enviously at those who have that very broad skill set and can execute at such a high level. There's, there's a certain um, a bit of DNA here that I, I think, touching upon. I think that the things that we respond to the most are people who have. Uh, who are curious? Yes, and they yep. have uh, the curiosity leads to passion, which right. I think is is um, contagious. Um, and so uh, you know you you you're you're a math teacher, but you you have this podcast and you're passionate about games and all that. That's what's interesting to me. I, yes. I, I can't um, I, I can't ever understand how people are like this is my thing and I have my nine to five and I come home and and like or people who don't have, who don't. Have- I'm like, but yes. what do you do for fun? Like, what are you interested in? Yes. What do you What do you want to learn? About? I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah. I am yeah. listening to an audiobook at all points in my life. I want to know more. And I can't imagine a life where I just sit back and be like, well, there's everything I know. <laughs> what? Hands behind the head and that's it. I can <laughs> right. just you know, crack the knuckles and, and sip a coffee and that's it. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, right. I cannot imagine. Cannot. Yeah, so curiosity, and I, I think that show. Hopefully, that shows in what we create. Everything we work yeah. on is just like we 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 like too many things to just uh, go back to what I said before. Like too many things to just pick a lane and be like, oh, this yeah. is strictly a shooter. Yeah, just be derivative. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, um, and I, <laughs> I, this is the thing that always shoots us in the foot is that like we make things that we 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 go to publisher and they're like, whoa, he's got a lot of. A lot of flavor here. It's a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, well, it's funny because even the one of one of my favorite stories to tell about um, uh, pitching is about. Did you ever hear the game uh, Division Nine? It was a game that Irrational was working on for yeah. a while. Yeah, another one. Well, no, of the yeah. one. Yeah, sorry. So, um, yeah. So there's the, the you can you can look up the trailer and and, and whatnot if if people want to check it out. But um, this was in like 2004 or so, and it was a uh, it, it basically SWAT or um, I guess it was like a SWAT game because it was right after SWAT 4, um, meets uh, a zombie invasion. So the um, uh, zombie apocalypse has happened and you're this elite squad going out there trying to um, maintain um, civilization, basically, and you're going out and trying to save people and build up your your um, your, your base and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so super cool stuff. And this is before zombies absolutely exploded. And we took it on the road and we we're pitching it around and we had a cool prototype and the this one particular problem we weren't getting the bites we were nobody was really it was like oh it's cool it's really neat but uh you know no i don't know if it's right for us right now and then one publisher i won't say who <laughs> uh, after we showed it to them and pitched them it's like oh you know i really like it um i think it's some cool stuff cool visuals i think the design is really tight but i just don't know if zombies are going to be popular in 2005. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, i don't think it's been a war I found that away as the worst take in all of gaming, because um, you know you know how you know the rest was history. Yeah, the rest was history. Um, but, but I'd also argue that in two thousand five, it was already starting to happen anyway. It's not like a they little got... bit. Yeah, a little bit. You had the the, the Walking Dead uh, graphic novel was starting to really take off, but it was still kind of underground. There was no Walking Dead show. There was no um, uh, Dawn of the Dead coming back. And so twenty eight yeah, days later, I believe it was about a year. That was or the big so one. Before. 
Yeah, but yeah. nobody, like, even to this day, like, every year, I'm like, oh, my God, zombies are still It's still, gang uh, still it's kicking. Like, yeah, it's like the... Um, but you know, what's, um, was it days gone? Uh, just like they continue to, to, to crank out, you know, amazing new IP about zombies. That's great. I mean, even we have a zombie, we have a a very sexy zombie pirate in the game, um, whose plunder is literal booty. So he, um, he finds the best body parts off of other corpses and just makes him, he's a bodybuilder, he's a literal bodybuilder. So that's our zombie. Yeah, we're 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 very serious game. That's an awesome take on zombies. (laughs) Actual booty. Yeah, well, it's funny because over the last almost two decades of zombie invasion, we we, we've had so many zombie like really fun zombie takes, and then you know three or four years later, like oh that's that was the thing that we talked about doing. Like, (laughs) um, what was the one about the school? Um, Well, whatever. It's just like yeah, it's 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 that thing's got legs. That that IP. And that person, that person, that that publisher who shall remain nameless, didn't think wrong. there was a future in zombies. Goes to bed every night going. No. Oh, they, they, no, no. there is no uh, self uh, um, self aware reflection. Know, yeah, <laughs> yeah anyway. we said no. We moved on. Pat, <laughs> yeah, hasn't thought yeah. about it ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, we've read, we've spoken about a lot of different games over the journey that you haven't worked on that you've you've played or you you know you're born and bred on. I I alluded to this early on, but is there any one game that's ever existed you could retroactively add your name into the credits for as having been responsible for in some way, shape, or form? Mm. Oof. Yeah. And is it um, a game that we've mentioned so far? Is there something else that we've not mentioned? What would the game be? For, well, there's, there's, both honestly, there's there's too many to to, to list. I think that. Um, anything related to, I mean, like if, if I can get the cred, it would be Super Metroid. Um, but to, <laughs> but to be involved in that and to, to learn about the craft that they had, and I think there's there's um, such a brilliant exercise in minimalism, uh, the amount of atmosphere and the amount of the amount of impact they're able to get out of next to nothing. You think about the intro sequence. There's really there's, there's next. There's not even in combat there. It's, yeah. it's all atmosphere and just a little bit of platforming and exploration and narrative, and they absolutely knock it out of the park. It's, it's better than most, I think, modern games with all the tools that we have available, all the tools and techniques. Um, I think you know, Super Metroid is, is still it's more effective. Than, than, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Masterclass is the right word. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a lot of weird ones. Like, I would have loved to be involved in the development of, of something like Tenchu. Um, I, 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 I love that series. Well, that's not so much the series. It's the first one, really. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by Feudal Japan, but I think specifically... The, uh, the approach to stealth and, you know, frankly, the, the, the way that they're able to, to, I think the aesthetic of feudal Japan really lends itself very nicely to early PlayStation and to quote unquote open world. Right. Yes. Um, but just the sense of exploration and sense of place that the game has and just how um, decisive the combat is. And, and to like, you know, if you get, it's one of the few stealth games where I think really, really gets it right where it's like, you can, fight uh hand to hand but it's like it's a big risk and you're you're severely disadvantaged and you are heavily incentivized and rewarded for the stealth um and just you know the the the, the grappling and all that so i always i bet that was a fun game to work on and um that, that's always one i always wanted to put <laughs> so I, i'd love to to get be able to work on a, uh something like that I mean, my answer is simple. I would have loved to have written nerdy lore for World of Warcraft. I used oh, to play really? so much really? WoW. I used to play so much WoW. And, like, 
to imagine myself being able to write in a lot of like the stuff you found and all like yeah. the nerdy lore, like absolutely no question. Yeah. And that just It'll runs be, yeah. so deep in that case too. So you have yeah. a field day with yeah, that. I'd go off, yeah. you know, like I could really. Now you got me going. Yeah. Now, I'm like, now I'm thinking about it. It's more, I'm like, oh man, Silent Hill 2 to be able to, to tell some of the. Oh, the there. number of people I've had message me after we've done, uh, recorded the show and said, "Oh, but I didn't mention this game." Like, it yeah. happens. It, the the seeds too, get set off. Uh, it's Honestly, WoW must have been or must be really fun. To right? Watch. Not so much now. I, I'd be terrified. Right, right. Now. I mean, like, I mean, like, no, I, I vanilla just, WoW like back the, in the I mean, early days. I, I, I do not envy Blizzard uh, for where they are right now. I don't know what they've got for the future or whatever. But between Overwatch and WoW, uh, the, the the kind of changes you have to make to that. Are, are like yeah. life and death like oh yeah. my god you screw up some of the balance there and yeah yeah i wouldn't want it to it's like jenga i would not want to touch it now but like i would have wanted to get in like when it was just a whole tower it's funny how it's a, it's a there's so many different skill sets that are just completely alien you know mm. like you you know something you learn a little something about making games but it's like you, you're never gonna you, the, the skills do not always translate no for um, sure yeah and there's always more to learn no, there's some fantastic choices. Uh, so for everyone listening today, if they're looking to uh, catch, uh, like, speak to the, the both of you, obviously there's there's Twitter that's available. So uh, could you please just share, uh, let everyone know where they'd be best to go if they want to learn, uh, learn a bit more about the both of you, have a chat, learn more about the Kickstarter? Where would they sure. be best to go? Absolutely. Um, so uh, the Kickstarter will be on uh, in mid-October. Uh, and. Right. It's okay. October 13th, uh, the Kickstarter goes live and we would just love your support and even just sharing it. If you're just like, this idea tickles me, you know, just, just share it. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Amanda S. Gardner. Uh, the Deep End Games Twitter is at the Deep End Games, but the Deep End Games Instagram is just Deep End Games with no the. So I'm sorry for the confusion there. That's social uh, media for like- you. <laughs> yeah, social media is tough. Um, I'm Game On Gardener on Twitter. Um, you know, we have a, we just set up a, a Discord for the event games, which you yes. should be able to find on our yeah. social media. Yeah, we, we we love talking about this stuff, and so um, you know, uh, we love engaging about anything related to games and game creation and getting started. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely welcome the discussion. Um, I tend to be. Um, no, the enthusiasm has shone through the whole way through this chat. Off. Oh, okay. good. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't question that for a second. <laughs> well, it is morning for us, you poor things. So. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, nearly, nearly one, one, one a.m. in the morning. That's right. It's, been, it, it's kept me engaged the entire time. I've loved every little bit of it. So, so thank you both so very much for coming aboard. I wish you both nothing but the best success when it comes to the Kickstarter. Uh, as you mentioned, October 13. So by the time this goes live, it will be available uh, to uh, support now. So please go out and do so. Uh, listeners, uh, you've heard some uh, there was some things that the, both of you have mentioned so far that I hadn't discovered in, in some of my reading about the Kickstarter up to that point. Uh, you know, pirates that actually chase down booty and zombie pirates that chase down booty and all that. Sort of, like, there's some there's really cool ideas here. We're gonna like I, I think uh, the the problem that we've I've never had this uh, problem before, but the, the the issue we have is is about choosing what we want to to show rather yeah. than like, having enough to show. Like there's so much it's ridiculous so exciting. Has, yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah <laughs> lots of ridiculous thank you no there's there's some really great things that you've discussed today that i've already read about and that people will be dis- discovering over the course of the next few weeks so and then obviously in the the months and years to come 
once the game gets closer to release and eventually releases. So I wish you both nothing but the very best for the development of the project and thank you both very, very much for coming aboard. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure, seriously. Yeah, this was great. <laughs> Not a problem at all. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this century of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Ball James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Amanda's and Bill's stories. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.